Throughout anyone's career, you'll always have points in time that are really hard and that you feel you are failing as a professional, as a mom, as a woman, you name it. But my advice is resist and use those to push for change. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Corinne Lines. And I'm Suchi Srinivasan. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital, business, and technology. This episode, we're speaking with Isabella DeMattia, Vice President of Business Operations and Analytics at the International Rescue Committee. She's had a diverse career that eventually led to her current role in the not-for-profit sector. Isabella is an avid traveler and has lived and worked all over the world. She currently resides in Athens, Greece. Here's my conversation with Isabella. I'm Isabella De Mattia. I'm the VP of Business Operations and Analytics for the International Rescue Committee, which is an international humanitarian aid organization. Currently living in Athens, mom of two kids. Isabella, describe your career path leading up to your current role. What were some of the uh, inflection points and key moments along the way? So if I, you know, think about my career path, what it's like a, a common thread is that I've always tried to find what really drives me and, and motivates me. And I think because of that, there have been some compromises throughout. I But I always knew I wasn't necessarily interested in going up the ladder fast and reach a certain level of seniority. I was more interested in trying to find what really passionate me. And so, and that required a lot of trials and errors. And I think sometimes also understanding what you don't like is as important as understanding what you like. But I also knew that I liked art and I knew that I liked social sciences. And actually, my first year in university, I went down the path of art and culture to then actually understand that although I really like art and culture, it was not really what I wanted to to continue studying. And so I actually switched and I went to the most quantitative economic degree <laughs> that I could find. Like the other end of the pendulum. Completely basically. the other end of the spectrum. And I actually studied, you know, economics, statistics and social sciences, which was definitely the right path for me because it's uh, something that I, I, I deeply loved. And after university, out of uh, economics and, and finance degree, at that time, there were really two main traditional paths. It was either banking or consulting. I tried banking and it was very helpful to understand that banking was really not <laughs> what I wanted to, to do. I actually worked briefly at Lehman Brothers, but I didn't want to go back. I didn't think it was the right fit for me. And I chose consulting. I started McKinsey in 2007. And McKinsey was a great opportunity for me to actually test out different things. And I used it as an opportunity to work in different industry, uh, in different functions, and with a lot of different people. And I think that was really helpful for me to understand that people was definitely a key element for me, working in places where there is a very good cultural fit and I, I'm a big extrovert and so people are always an important dimension in, in my life. And I realized I also really liked working on big strategic transformation and support companies throughout the change. 
Um, however, at the same time, I still wanted to explore my passion for social sciences and social sector. And so after my first two years of McKinsey, I actually took one year gap before my MBA. And I used that year to work for the Ministry of Education in Italy and to work also with children that suffered domestic violence in Argentina. And it was a very good uh, experience to try to understand, you know, how much did I really like working in very different sector than the, the for-profit one. And indeed, it was a confirmation that there was a strong interest there. And after that, I did my MBA at Columbia, CBS, and I used that opportunity to actually further explore the social sector dimension. And, you know, that comes with trade-offs. Because if I didn't take my gap here or if I didn't change so many industries and, and different teams in McKinsey, you could argue I could have, you know, <laughs> grew more senior faster. But that has never been the main driver for me. And so I've always been okay with the with the trade-off. What a wonderful story. I just love your uh, your hunger to kind of try out all of those new things to really find that fit. That's a fascinating story. Along the way, what were some of the challenges that you faced, especially on the road to a career inside the nonprofit sector now that you are here as you've grown your career here? I think at the beginning of my career, I always felt I was part of this, you know, normative culture where you're like, there are these three very well-defined role models or leadership styles. And you need to fit in one of these three boxes. Otherwise, it means you don't have any leadership. And I always felt there was like a, a push for performance to try to conform and be, you know, and fit into one of these boxes. But at the same time, I didn't feel I was true to myself, given my personality and the way I was. And actually, when I joined uh, the International Rescue Committee, I actually felt I could see different type of leadership, more boxes than just um, than just a few. You know, my current boss was um, was a woman when I joined the leadership team of IRC had 50% women. And that really helped understand that, you know, there are different type of leaders. But the other component was that there was less of a normative culture. I, I felt less of a pressure of fitting into one of these boxes and I felt more freedom to build my own. And I think that was for me a very meaningful learning and how to be able to actually, you know, how was I thriving better in an environment that would allow me to, to shape my own box and define my own leadership style that was more true to, to who I am. And the second challenge is more related to the social sector. At the beginning, I have to admit that coming from the private sector, I felt a bit of resistance. And I think understandably so, because many times you have people coming from the for-profit sector, joining the non-for-profit and thinking that they know best and they know better. And I think it's important when you change sector or career to really be humble and, and listen. And I had to gain trust um, at the beginning. But, you know, fortunately, you know, consulting really helped you. <laughs> on that because every time you have a new project with a new client you start from scratch and building up your confidence but that was definitely a challenge at the beginning that I had to overcome and now I feel we are in a completely different 
you know, place with the organization. But at the beginning, there was for sure some suspicions and some, you know, doubts on, on the value that someone not from the industry could actually bring. In your own way, that just sounds like such an entrepreneurial journey, right? Even though the sector is a very well-established sector, but your journey in it sounds like you've really had to break a lot of molds and, um, you know, start from ground zero, you know, in a function that doesn't have a usual space in that sector. Wow. So that's so many, so many molds that you had to break through. Let's dive into a little bit of what you actually do. So tell us a little bit about the work that you, you know, have done, but are also currently doing at the International Rescue Committee a little bit of what they do and what do you do in your role? It's a humanitarian aid organization. So we help people affected by humanitarian crisis. So think about a civil war, a conflict. A lot of it, unfortunately, nowadays is actually driven by climate change with, you know, floods or, or droughts. And we help people survive, recover and gain control of their lives And I just want to stress the importance of the last part of it, because it's not just providing support, but it's actually to enable people to be self-reliant and independent and to regain control over their own life. And that's the hardest beat, I would say. You know, the IRC was created in 1933 by Albert Einstein to support people that were fleeing the Second World War into the United States. And so IRC has still kept this resettlement arm. And so we um, support refugees to be resettled in the U.S. We are actually, you know, in 2021, we were the largest resettlement agency in the country. But at the same time, we also built our international operations. And so we work in 40 countries internationally. So that's what IRC does in a nutshell. And what I do is I work in what is called the um, external relations department, which is all the private fundraising arm, communication policy and advocacy. And I lead the strategy and planning side, the financial planning and operations and analytics. That's fascinating, Isabella, just the scope of everything that IRC is doing and your role in it. Can you speak a little bit about the role of analytics as pertains to IRC's work and goals? Uh, Speak to us a little bit about that connection. When you talk about data and analytics at IRC, I think there are three pieces. The first is we are an evidence-based organization, and so we actually have a research and innovation team that focus on understanding what works and what doesn't work in terms of type of programs that we implement on the ground. And every program we do is designed based on the evidence we have. There is another part that it's more focused on collecting data, measuring the outcome of the programs that we do on the ground. And I would say this bit, it's more focused on KPIs and data visualization. And the struggle there, it's really data collection and data quality, as you can imagine. And then the third bit, it's more the one that I oversee, which is the one in the area of the organization where actually there is the highest level of of data. And so that's really where maybe we can actually talk about analytics in the sense of bigger data and and technology, which is the one supporting uh, private fundraising and, and communication. So when I joined in 2020, we did not have an analytics team. We just had few analytics roles embedded in the business. But I felt it was a missing opportunity because we were sitting on a lot of data, but we weren't really optimizing the use of it 
to make sure that we are really in, uh, maximizing the return on investment on every dollar we were spending on the way we built our profile and, and brand awareness and, and, and fundraise. And so we created this team towards the end of 2020. And I think, you know, IRC is uniquely positioned to maximize the return out of it because a lot of our peer organizations have more of a federated model where countries are very independent from the center. And it's much harder to create a global view on the data. But IRC doesn't have a federated model. So in that sense, it's easier for us to have a global view of our data. And so we have actually invested um, a lot in, in our data stack. We have recently moved to the cloud. We have merged finally our CRM between the US and the rest of the world. And so we have actually now, especially this past year, created, done a lot of you know, the fundamentals that I think will really allow us in the next two years to take the analytics work to another level. That sounds so pathbreaking for the sector, the way you describe it, Isabella. Heads off to you. Let's move a little bit to you as well. So you've loved to travel. You've worked and lived all over the world. How has this travel influenced the decisions you've made in your career? And what challenges did you face, you know, for example, when you moved to a different country for work? So I, I left home when I was 18 and I never went, went back. You know, the first travel on quotes was actually uh, to move from uh, my hometown, which is a small city of 70,000 people, where everybody, at least, you know, based on my experience, was dressing the same, thinking the same, voting the same. To move to university to Milan, which is you know a 1.2 million city, which for Italian standards it's it's uh, one of the biggest city we have, and start to be exposure to much more diversity. And I remember being mesmerized. I was like, wow! So people dress differently, think differently. <laughs> this is great. I want I want more. And from there, I really never went back. I, I lived in London when I joined McKinsey. I managed to travel to, you know, and work in Poland, in Switzerland. I lived in Argentina, then New York, and now Greece. And throughout this time, I've also done a lot of long backpacking travels, like South America, Southeast Asia, the Silk Road. I fell in love with the beauty of the world. And I know that might sound cheesy, but I really love how diverse and beautiful the world is. And I, I learned how to be very resourceful. And the third is, I think, travel has also really helped me understand that my reality is not the only reality and the only reality that matters. And so I find it very helpful at some point in my life when I was struggling to actually put things into perspective and say, okay, but this is just <laughs> one small problem in relation to, you know, everything else that there is out there. And that ties in so very well with both the sector that you've picked and also even your role, you know, using data from all of those diverse perspectives to be then informing your work, you know, there's this very beautiful thread through your career. You know, professionally, you made the decision to move back to Europe to be closer to your family. Tell us about that experience and, you know, any of its implications in your professional career, how you managed that. 
I thought a lot about this choice because it was really a choice between career opportunity and family, right? I was in New York where the headquarters of IRC is and where, you know, as you know, there are a lot of opportunities to move to Greece, which is a wonderful country, but, you know, with less work opportunity, at least for someone with my background not speaking Greek in, in my sector. My husband and I felt we were ready to make a choice that was uh, putting family first And, you know, as I said before at the beginning, and it's really true, my main goal has never been move up the ladder as fast as I could. And so I was lucky enough to be able to keep my job at IRC from Greece. And so I still can do what I love, what motivates me, what excites me, and at the same time be closer to my family and grow, uh, grow my children in a place that is more home for me, at least at this stage in my life. So as we wrap up, Tell us about a time when you felt in your element. You know, I think throughout my career, every time I felt in my element was actually when I was able to solve a problem <laughs> and had full ownership over the solution. Because I actually think uh, every problem is actually an opportunity. And that's why maybe I love so much this sector. If you want to see the silver lining, we have a lot of challenges, but it also means that we have a lot of <laughs> opportunity. And if I had to pinpoint a time, I would say for me, it's really now because the current role, I feel I have the freedom. I've gained the freedom and the trust to be able to push for uh, new ideas and new solutions um, that can help us gain more income, more money that then will ultimately um, help the people that, that we serve. I have the lack of being able to do so while raising my two kids close to home. And so I'm, I think I'm, right now I am in my element. That's amazing, Isabella. Is there anything else that perhaps we should have asked you or you'd like to share with our listeners? Throughout anyone's career, you'll always have points in time that are really hard and that you feel you are failing as a professional, as a mom, as a woman, you name it. But my advice is, resist and use those to push for change. And in my career, the, the two moments in time where I was suffering the most are the one that actually pushed me to move, uh, gave me the courage to make the change from private sector to non-profit sector and to actually change role within IRC and move to IRC to Greece and, and get closer to the life that I really want. And so my advice is hold on to these tough moments and have the courage to push for change. That was my conversation with Isabella. What an incredible woman. I mean, I had so many beautiful moments and thoughts and hearing what she had to say. But I think one of the things that was really impactful for me was her talking about, you know, and she's she was like, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a rush. She was really taking her time to like get to the phase in her career that she wanted to progress to. And she's still doing that. But in the middle of all that, she's still like sort of prioritizing her family and her children and sort of being from Italy and then saying, okay, how can I sort of navigate myself? I thought that was great. What also struck me was how successfully she sort of assembled the Lego blocks with vision, learning what she needed to learn in all of her varied for-profit experiences. And then 
consciously and unconsciously bringing that over to a cause that she felt really passionate about. And so I think it's so inspirational to watch her assemble that and therefore lead as a visionary in this industry or this nonprofit sector and give direction and shape it. I think what a wonderful legacy, honestly, that she's in place to uh, leave behind. Well, that's all for today. This has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.